Chapter Seven of Post Haste. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Paula. Post Haste by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Seven. Phil begins a life and makes a friend. Some time after the small tea party described in our last chapter, Philip Maylands was invested with all the dignity, privileges, emoluments of an outdoor boy telegraph messenger in the general post office. He rejoiced in the conscious independence of one who earns his own livelihood, is a burden to nobody, and has something to spare. He enjoyed the privilege of wearing a gray uniform, of sitting in a comfortable room with a huge fire in the basement of the office and of walking over a portion of london as the bearer of urgent and no doubt all-important news he also enjoyed a salary of seven shillings sterling a week and was further buoyed up by the hopes of an increase to eight shillings at the end of a year his duties as a rule began at eight each morning and averaged nine hours we have said that out of his vast income he had something to spare this of course was not much but owing to the very moderate charge for lodging made by solomon flint with whom and his sister he took up his abode the sum was sufficient to enable him after a few months to send home part of his first year's earnings to his mother he did this by means of that most valuable institution of modern days a post-office order which enables one to send small sums of money at a moderate charge and with perfect security not only all over the kingdom but all over the greater part of the known world it would have been interesting had it been possible to have entered into phil's feelings on the occasion of his transacting this first piece of financial business being a country-bred boy he was as bashful about it as if he had been only ten years old he doubted first whether the clerk would believe him in earnest when he should demand the order then when he received the form to fill up he had considerable hesitation lest he should fill in the blanks erroneously and when the clerk scanned the slip and frowned he felt convinced that he had done so you've only put mrs maylands said the clerk only mrs maylands thought phil what does the man want me to add widow of reverend james maylands and mother of all the little maylands but he only said sure sir it is to her i want to send the money put down her christian name said the clerk order can't be drawn without it phil put down the required name handed over the money received back the change inserted the order into a previously prepared letter posted the same and walked away from that office as tall as his friend george aspel if not taller in sensation let us now follow our hero to the boys messenger room in the basement of st martin's le grand entering one morning after the delivery of a telegram which had cost him a pretty long walk phil proceeded to the boys hall and took his seat at the end of the row of boys who were awaiting their turn to be called for mercurial duty observing a very small telegraph boy in a scullery off the hall engaged in some mysterious operations with a large saucepan from which volumes of steam proceeded he went towards him by that time phil had become pretty well acquainted with the faces of his comrades but this boy he had not previously met with the lad was stooping over a sink and carefully holding in the contents of the pan with its lid while he strained off the boiling water sure i've not seen you before remarked phil the boy turned up a sharp-featured but handsome and remarkably intelligent face and with quick glance at phil said well now any man might know you for an irishman by your impudence even if he hadn't the brogue why what do you mean asked phil with an amused smile 
mean echoed the boy with the most refined extract of insolence on his pretty little face i mean that small though i am surely i'm big enough to be seen well returned phil with a laugh you know what i mean that i haven't seen you before to-day then why didn't you say what you mean how do you suppose a man can understand you unless you speak in plain terms you won't go for the g p o if you can't speak the queen's english we want sharp fellows here we do so you better go back to old ireland avec cushlamaverneen there and put that in your pipe and smoke it whether it was the distraction of the boy's mind or the potent working of his impertinence we know not but certain it is that his left hand slipped somehow and a round ball with a delicious smell fell out of the pot the boy half caught it and wildly yet cleverly balanced it on the lid but it would have rolled next moment into the sink if phil had not made a dart forward caught it like a football and bowled it back into the pot well done splendidly done cried the boy setting down his pot Arrah, pat he added mocking phil's brogue and holding out his hand you're a man after my own heart give me your flipper and let us swear eternal friendship over this precious goblet of course phil cheerfully complied and the friendship thus auspiciously begun afterwards became strong and lasting so it is all through the course of life at every turn we are liable to meet with those who shall thenceforth exercise a powerful influence on our characters lives and affections and on whom our influence shall be strong for good or evil what's your name asked phil mine is philip malins mine's peter pax answered the small boy returning to his goblet but i have no end of aliases such as mouse monkey spider snipe imp and little un call me what you please all is one to me so as you don't call me too late for dinner and what have you got there pax asked phil referring to the pot a plum pudding do two or three of you share it certainly not replied the boy what you don't mean to say you can eat it all yourself for dinner the extent of my ability in the disposal of whittles answered pax i have never fairly tested but i think i could eat this at one meal though i ain't sure but it's meant to serve me all day you see i find a good solid well-made plum pudding with not too much suet and a moderate amount of currants and raisins an admirable squencher of appetite it's portable too and keeps well besides if i can't get through it at supper it fries up next morning splendidly come i'll let you taste a bit and that's a favour which i wouldn't grant to every one no thank ye pax i'm already loaded and primed for the afternoon but i'll sit while you eat and chat you're welcome returned pax only don't be cheeky philip as i can't meet you on equal footing when i'm at grub i'll be careful pax but don't call me philip call me phil i will phil come along phil come fill up my cup come fill up my can that sort of thing you understand phil me darlint there was such a superhuman amount of knowing presumption in the look and air of pax as he poked phil in the ribs and winked that the latter burst into laughter in which however he was not joined by his companion who with the goblet in one hand and the other thrust into his pocket stood regarding his new friend with a pitiful expression till he recovered then led him off to a confabulation which deepened their mutual esteem that same evening a gentleman called at the post-office desiring to see philip malins and it turned out to be george aspill why george what brings you here said phil in surprise i chanced to be in the neighbourhood answered aspill and came to ask the address of that little creature who posted my letter the other night i want to see her she does not go to your cousin's i know till morning 
and i must see her to-night to make sure she did post the letter for do you know i had no reply from sir james and i can't rest until i ascertain whether my letter was posted can you tell me where she lives phil at that moment phil was summoned for duty giving his friend the address hastily he left him george aspel paused in front of the general post office on his way to visit toddy bones and observing a considerable bustle going on there he stopped to gaze for george had an inquiring mind being fresh from the country his progress through the streets of london as may be well understood was slow it was also harassing to himself and the public for when not actually standing entranced in front of the shop windows his irresistible tendency to look in while walking resulted in many collisions and numerous apologies at the general post office he avoided the stream of human beings by getting under the lee of one of the pillars of the colonnade whence he could look on undisturbed up to six o'clock letters are received in the letter-box at st martin's le grand for the mails which leave london at eight each evening the place for receiving book parcels and newspapers however closes half an hour sooner before five a brass slit in the wall suffices for the public but within a few minutes of the half-hour the steady run of men and boys towards it is so great that the slit becomes inadequate a trap-door is therefore opened in the pavement and a yawning abyss displayed which communicates by an inclined plane with the newspaper regions below into this abyss everything is hurled when aspel took up his position people were hurrying towards the hole some with single book parcels or a few newspapers others with armfuls and many with sackfuls in a few minutes the rapid walk became a run men boys and girls sprang up the steps occasionally tumbled up jostled each other in their eager haste and tossed dropped hurled or poured their contributions into the receptacle which was at last fed so hastily that it choked once or twice and a policeman assisted by an official stuffed the literary matter down its throat with difficulty however owing to the ever-increasing stream of contributors to the feast the trap-door when open formed a barrier to the hole which prevented the too eager public from being posted headlong with their papers one youth staggered up the steps under a sack so large that he could scarcely lift it over the edge of the barrier without the policeman's aid him aspel questioned as he was leaving with the empty sack and found that he was a porter of one of the large publishing firms of the city others he found came from advertising agents with sacks of circulars etc soon the minutes were reduced to seconds and the work became proportionally fast and furious sacks baskets hampers trays of material were emptied violently into that insatiable maw and in some cases the sacks went in along with their contents but the owner's name being on these they were recoverable elsewhere suddenly yet slowly the opening closed the monster was satisfied for that time it would not swallow another morsel and one or two unfortunates who came late with large bags of newspapers and circulars had to resort to the comparatively slow process of cramming their contents through the narrow slit above with the comforting certainty that they had missed that post turning from this point george aspel observed that the box for letters closing as we have said half an hour later than that for books and papers was beginning to show symptoms of activity at a quarter to six the long metal slit was suddenly opened like a gaping mouth into which a harlequin could have leaped easily through it aspel could look over the heads of the public and see the officials inside dragging away great baskets full of letters to be manipulated through mysterious realms inside at five minutes to six the rush through this mouth was incessant and the operations at the newspaper tomb were pretty much repeated 
though of course the contents of the bags and baskets were not quite so ponderous at one side of the mouse stood an official in a red coat and at the other a policeman these assisted the public to empty their baskets and trays gave information and sometimes advice and kept people moving on little boys there as elsewhere had strong tendency to skylark and gaze at the busy officials inside to the obstruction of the way the policemen checked their propensities a stout elderly female panted towards the mouth with a letter in one hand and a paper in the other she had full two minutes and a half to spare but she felt convinced she was too late the red-coated official posted her letter and pointed out the proper place for the newspaper at two minutes to six anxious people began to run while yet in the street cool personages seeing the clock and feeling safe affected an easy nonchalance but did not loiter one minute to six eager looks were on the faces of those who from all sides converged toward the great receiving box the actors sprang up the wide steps at a bound heaved their bundles or packets or single missives and heaved sighs of relief after them the timid stumbled on the stairs and blundered up to the mouth while the hasty almost plunged into it bodily even at this critical moment there were lulls in the rush once there was almost a dead pause and at that moment an exquisite sauntered toward the mouth dropped a solitary little letter down the slope where the cataracts had been flowing and turned away he was almost carried off his legs by two youths from a lawyer's office who rushed up just at the first stroke of six o'clock rang out in the night air slowly and grandly it told from st paul's whose mighty dome was visible above the housetops from the colonnade during these fleeting moments a few dozens of late ones posted some hundreds of letters with kindly considerations the authorities of st martin's le grand have set their timepieces one minute slow aware of this a clerk gasping with a pen behind his ear leaped up the steps at the last stroke and hurled in a bundle of letters next moment like inexorable fate the mouth closed and nothing short of the demolition of the british constitution could have induced that mouth to convey another letter to the eight o'clock mails hope however was not utterly removed those who had chosen to place an additional penny stamp on their letters could by posting them in a separate box have them taken in for that mail up to seven two pence secured their acceptance up to seven fifteen three pence up to seven thirty and six pence up to seven forty five but all letters posted after six without the late fees were detained for the following mail sharp practice observed george aspel to the red-coated official who after shutting the mouth placed a ticket above it which told all corners that they were too late yes sir and pretty sharp work is needful when you consider that the mails we've got to send out daily from this office consist of over five thousand eight hundred bags weighing forty-three tons while the mails received number more than five thousand five hundred bags speaks to a deal of correspondence that don't don't it sir what every day exclaimed aspel in surprise every day replied the official with a good-humoured smile and an empathetic nod why sir he continued in a leisurely way we're somewhat of a literary nation we are how many letters now do you think pass through the post-office altogether counting england scotland and ireland haven't the remotest idea well sir continued the red-coated man with an impressive solemnity we passes through our hands in one year about one thousand fifty-seven million odd i know enough of figures said aspel with a laugh to be aware that i cannot realize such a number 
nevertheless sir continued the official with a patronizing air you can realize something about such a number for instance that sum gives thirty-two letters per head to the population in the year and of course as thousands of us can't write and thousands more don't write it follows that the real correspondents of the kingdom do some pretty stiff work in the writing way but these are only the letters if you include somewhere about four hundred and twenty million postcards newspapers book packets and circulars you have the sum total of fourteen hundred and seventy-seven million odd passing through our hands put that down in figure sir when you get home one million four hundred seventy-seven thousand and perhaps it'll open your eyes a bit if you want em open still wider just try to find out how long it would take you to count that sum at the rate of sixty to the minute beginning one two three and so on working eight hours a day without taking time for meals but giving you off sixty-five days each year for sundays and holidays to recruit your wasted energies how long would it take asked aspel with an amused but interested look why sir it would take you just a little over one hundred and seventy years the calculation ain't difficult you can try for yourself if you don't believe it good night sir added the red-coated official with a pleasant nod as he turned and entered the great building where a huge proportion of the amazing work was being at that moment actively manipulated End of chapter seven